Hello, and welcome to Episode 7 of Hosted Payload, the Satellite and Space Law Podcast. From the Wiley Law Firm in Washington, D.C., I'm your host, Henry Gola. You know, it's such a fine line between stupid and clever. David St. Hubbins may not have been talking about satire, but it fits. The genre is effective when the audience knows, at least eventually, that they're watching satire. That's part of the reason why the 1997 movie Starship Troopers bombed at the box office. It was received as a low-rent action flick, rather than a satire of World War II Johnny Get Your Gun movies. But does the space satire work better today? It's the Wiley Satellite All-Star Edition of Hosted Payload, as Jennifer Hinden, Kate Dickerson, and Maddie Lotenbach will weigh in. Plus, it's after Labor Day, and the FCC is making moves to ease the pain of applying for space station and Earth station applications. Jillian Quigley joins us for the Orbital Debrief. All right, joining me today are the cream of the crop of Wiley's satellite practice, chair of the practice, and co-chair of the entire TMT group, Jennifer Hinden. Hi, Jen. Hey, Henry. Partner extraordinaire, Kate Dickerson. Kate, welcome. Say something. Yes, there Hi. you are. Okay. Glad to be here. We can't see you. We can only hear ah, you. I see. The that's how a podcast magic works. Magic of radio. Got it. Yes, that's right. And senior associate, Maddie Lotenbach. Maddie, how are you? Hey, Henry. Good to be here. And welcome back, Maddie. A return to this podcast. All right. So today, we're all here to talk about a movie that came out my freshman year of college, the 1997 cult classic Starship Troopers. It's based on a 1950s novel. It's directed by Paul Verhoeven, and it takes place hundreds of years in the future. Earth is ruled by one body, the Planetary Federation, and a war is brewing with a very distant planet inhabited by a race of huge and deadly insects. A group of teenagers in Buenos Aires, including Neil Patrick Harris and future Real Housewife Denise Richards, sign up with the military and go from fresh-faced space recruits to quickly learning the hard lessons of war against the unrelenting bug enemy. All right, so after getting mixed reviews, the movie barely grossed more than its $100 million budget. Austin Chronicle praised the wall-to-wall blood and guts laced with surprisingly keen social satire, while the Washington Post said, it's exactly like Star Wars if you subtract a good story, sympathetic characters, intelligence, wit, and moral purpose. All right, so in FCC parlance, Kate, starting with you, Petition to deny or comments in support of the 1997 movie Starship Troopers. <laughs> um, I'm going to actually do a comments in support. Oh, but yes, I would have. So it's a, a petition to deny had I seen the movie back in 1997 when it originally came out, in part because it just is over the top gore, particularly in the second half. It just sort of makes the movie, I think, difficult to watch. It's part of the reason I think that the fact that it is satire was largely lost on audiences back then, because it's just, you know, it it does sort of jump the shark, I think, especially toward the end. But today, looking back at it, you know, I think particularly from a feminist lens, it is an interesting movie. Um, I could do without all the bug killing, but I think that, um, you know, in your intro, Henry, you know, one of the things I noticed, you said you pronounced Buenos Aires as 
we would today, sort of with the Spanish accent, right? But the movie begins and it is Buenos, or how they say it, Buenos Aires. And it yeah. just, you know, it's a homogenous world culture that has, um, you know, links to fascism. And it's, it's so it, I think it's very interesting on a satirical level. So we can get into all of that in more detail later. But to answer your question, yes, comments and support. Yeah. Buenos Aires could have been, you know, in New Jersey or Florida, based on how based on how it was depicted in this movie. Jen, petition to deny our comments and support. So I did not see the movie in 1997 when it came out. I saw it for the first time two days ago with my 16, soon to be 17 year old son. Um, if you'd asked me two days ago, I was a very strong petition to deny. But consistent with the philosophical theme and satire of the movie, it has a way of seeping in under your skin. And I've been thinking about it for two days. I'm not quite comments and support, but maybe some sort of a informal objection in FCC parlance. All right. Maddie, your thoughts? So I also watched it for the first time last night. I went in with very low expectations just sort of based on some of the reviews and things I'd heard before. But yeah, I mean, I didn't hate it. I um, didn't find it as gory as Kate did. I actually thought it was relatively restrained for a, you know, sci-fi action movie, particularly one that's sort of based around a war theme, but maybe that's sort of- I mean, there were people getting their limbs ripped off and heads coming off and Bug and guts. Yeah, but they were were bugs and most of it was relatively quick. And, you know, even when, um, you know, our our dear Rico is taking his administrative, you know, punishment at the beginning, right? They didn't make you sit and watch through all 10. Maybe I'm like coming off of like Game of Thrones that everybody loved and I couldn't make it past, you know, episode X. And maybe if Game of Thrones is like my theory or level of, you know, gore level, I thought this one wasn't, wasn't too bad. Um, so is it because it was cartoony? Maybe it was cartoony, maybe because it was bugs, maybe because I wasn't taking it very seriously. Right, I didn't, you know. All right. Kate, you mentioned uh, feminism. Yes. So there's co-ed showers. There's women fighting right along men in the armed service. Is this movie showing a feminist future or is the director just a creep? (laughs) Uh, Perhaps a more, I would say, egalitarian future than perhaps a feminist future. But I think that those points of the movie are correct. And the co-ed shower scene is sort of everyone... getting along together, you know, joking around. It's not sexualized, although there is female nudity and not male nudity in the film. But um, there's plenty of butts. A lot of butts are shown. Yeah, that's true. Yes. (laughs) And it's, um, you know, I think it's interesting. The, we see the women excelling in school more than the men, you know, Mm -hmm. the, um, the main female characters do do better on the math exams, which allow them to be pilots in the fleet. And the 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 pilots are almost all female. Um, and they're portrayed as the um, the better, higher positions, whereas the mobile intru- infantry is almost all male, um, except for some more masculine um, females, some more tomboy type female characters. And there's a co-ed football in which, you know, the women 
play right alongside men. So I think True. there's definitely a, a feminist, you know, vein running through, or a egalitarian at least vein running running through the film that uh, is interesting to see from today's perspective. Jen, Maddie, anything to add there? I mean, my my hesitation, maybe because I went in with such low expectations, I wasn't looking at this, um, and maybe this gets to Kate's point at the beginning, right, that when this was released back in 1997, right, it was a satire and sort of a a critique, if you will, on society. I, I didn't come in with that sort of mindset or viewpoint. It was like, you know, what kind of slapstick funny bug killing movie will i watch so so satire is hard right it's uh it's it's it either lands or it doesn't and this was attempting to be a satire of rah-rah world war ii movies it included bits of propaganda films and had very corny lines from its leads jen did it land i think it did I mean, not at the time when you're watching it. When you're watching it, it just seems completely corny and far-fetched. And at one point in the movie, I even looked to see how long the movie was, two hours and nine minutes. And I thought it's about two hours too long. But yeah, looking back on it, I've been thinking about it for two days. And it does kind of seep in, um, in terms of landing with the propaganda. I mean, at the end, you have a giant bug that is sucking out your brain. I mean, that pretty much landed the satire spot on uh, when you're thinking back on it. So let's talk about the science of the film. The bug planets are supposed to be light years away, yet our heroes are able to get there very quickly and perhaps more perplexing, their communications appear to travel back and forth to Earth faster than the speed of light. Did this bother you as much as it bothered me? It did. And also that they didn't have to have any sort of uh, air breathing supplies or anything. They could just travel from one galaxy to the next uh, in their usual costumes um, without any air supplies or anything. But there was one line in there Um, you know, being the communications geeks that we are, where they said that the transmission was terminated due to atmospheric interference. So, so that was good. That, that was scientifically correct. Well done, Jen. That was my next follow-up question. So you, 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 (laughs) you have, you have read my mind on that one. That, that was very good. Uh, Maddie, did the science bother you? I will say I wished that there were, I think with the Neil Patrick Harris character, there was an opportunity to sort of have someone that was sort of going to um, sort of carry the the science flag, if you will, if not his role, right, an opportunity for another character that, you know, maybe systems engineer, if not communications, then starship or strategy. And I felt like that was kind of a missed opportunity and is maybe not to jump movies or TV shows here, but one thing I've always loved about Star Trek, right, is there were a lot of sort of brilliant minds willing to problem solve. And I felt like a little bit of that was missing with the Starship Troopers. I read the Neil Patrick Harris character as being a um, satire critique, uh, wink, wink to the Nazis, because Hitler kept a psychic like in his inner circle. Um, so I and he also dressed at the end like he was a Nazi stormtrooper. So I think that's what they were. That's what he was going for there. I don't know. Again, not gonna. I, I don't know. I don't know that it landed, but I think that's what they were attempting to do. What was your favorite "so bad it's good" moment of the movie? Because there are plenty. 
So bad, it's good. I don't know. But the one, I mean, of course, that I, I, I focused in on was uh, when the communications trooper gets picked up and carried away by some giant bug that flies the first time we've seen someone fly. And uh, he's being attacked. And then one of his comrades compassionately puts him out of his, his, uh, his trauma there. Um, that was so bad, it was good. I keep thinking back to that, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, it makes you think. Kate, what was your favorite so bad, it's good moment of the movie? Interesting. The one I had to turn away from, I think the most, was toward the end where the bugs are now eating people's brains. Uh, mm-hmm. That got pretty gross. I don't know if it was so bad that it was good, but um, yeah, definitely had to turn away there. You know, and it's just, yeah, there was also not enough backstory for me as to what the the Federation is. And the state itself didn't seem sort of as imposing as as I think it could have been. Yeah, they never really explained what, you know, there was this this thought that you joined the military and you became a citizen, but they never really explained the difference between a citizen and a civilian. Right. Right. They they made the distinction, but they never explained what that meant. But they did, Henry, they did. A citizen has the courage to make the safety of the human race their personal responsibility. That was going to be my, like... was so bad it was good i thought the citizen quote was so bad it was good yeah you're quoting a textbook like johnny rico well done yeah citizens too apparently also have the right to have children more easily apparently you needed a license to have children okay which seems problematic to me when fighting a you know a, a world of insects that can breed freely and therefore outnumber you. So why the human race is trying to restrict our numbers by requiring people to have a license to give birth seems a little strange choice. My favorite was when the the captain of the ship that Ibanez and Patrick Muldoon from Melrose Place are on, and it's been hit by the blue plasma ray and explodes and you know, they're running to get to the evacuation pod and the door comes down and seems to either chop her in half or trap her. And then as, you know, they're like, you know, Denise Richards is very upset and she says, evacuate, that's an or, and she can't get out the word order, right? Because she (laughs) dies at that very moment. That was my favorite line of, of the of many of many favorite lines in this movie um, that's so bad it's good that was a so bad it's good yeah that and jake Busey like creepily playing the violin while people are dancing was also like very very odd for me very titanic asks um, ask henry and the titanic being a movie that came out a few months after starship yes Rivers. so yeah some people blame titanic there. for yeah, some people blame Titanic for why why this movie didn't do as well. So thirty five on a math test out of a hundred, and Johnny Rico's dad wanted him to go to Harvard. Can you get into Harvard with a thirty five on a math test? I don't know. Is Harvard test optional these days? I never <laughs> I have know. to disclose that you got the thirty five on the math test. <laughs> but I would say no. Maybe in three hundred years it is. Jen, you were first, so we'll start with you. What? are your final thoughts on this movie? I'm glad you made me watch it. 
Okay, it's not something I ordinarily would have chosen to to watch, um, but it does. It makes you think. Uh, it was funny. It was satire. A lot of corniness. Intrigued by the fact that uh, the Doogie Hauser mind reader could only read the mind of bugs and animals, but not people. Felt like there was something worth more exploring mm-hmm. on that side of it. But you didn't know. he help save Denise Richards? Right. He did. He did. Uh, for those of you on, uh, you know, who are not watching this on video, which is everybody, Kate is appearing as though she's a distant planet. Um, you know, I could see Jen and Maddie a video, and Kate looks like um, she's in a solar system far, far away. Somebody um, needs to get her the DXQ uplink, which is <laughs> what they kept saying in the movie. That's right. That's right. Get that uplink, Diz. Actually, I like Dizzy. She was perhaps one of my favorite characters, the underdog, uh, you know, underestimated the whole time. Yeah. I'll agree. I wish she had a better ending. Like, even if she had to die, I wish she didn't have to be for such a strong character, you know, why she kind of had to be a wilting flower at the end was a little different. I agree. I was very disappointed that she died at the end. I thought she should have been a survivor for sure. Cheesy closing line to last line. At least I had you, Rico, or something. Is that what it was? It's okay that I'm dying, Rico, because at least I got to have you. <laughs> That's great, Kate. If they ever That's... redo it. Thank you. <laughs> yes, no, I'll, I'll be first in line. That was really good. All right, Kate, uh, your audio's back. You're back from Planet X. Yes. Uh, Planet Bugs, yes. obviously. So, Kate, what are your final thoughts on this movie? You know, Henry, it's not a movie I would have chosen to see had it not been forced upon me by by you. Um, and I don't think it has invigorated a sense of wanting to see more movies in this particular genre. But having said that, I am I. It was worthwhile to watch, um, viewed from today's perspective, and I I can I can I can recommend it. I think hesitantly, but. Looking for a good bug killing movie. This this one might be for you. All right, Wiley folks, thanks for joining Hosted Payload and talking about a movie where a bunch of guys and women in the future kill bugs. Until next time. All right, welcome into the orbital debrief and welcome back, Jillian. What satellite and space news is on the docket for this month's orbital debrief? Hi, Henry. Happy to be back. It's been a whirlwind of a month, and there's so many exciting changes happening in the industry, so it was definitely a struggle to only pick three things today. All right. Well, let's get started then. Uh, What's first on your list for the month? First up, the FCC released the draft order and further notice of proposed rulemaking on improving processing for satellite and earth station applications. The FCC plans to vote on the draft later this month at the September Open Commission meeting. And the one headline the revision has proposed in the draft order is that the FCC will now start accepting applications for filing from operators uh, that are seeking waivers to use spectrum that doesn't conform with the international table of frequency allocations. Uh, the rule is originally meant to deter operation, operators from warehousing satellite spectrum, otherwise like getting authorizations for spectrum with no intent to use it. And so the FCC has now deemed the rule quote unquote unnecessary because the current bond and milestone rules in Part 25 have effectively addressed speculation and warehousing concerns. 
All right. An important rule change indeed. What other big changes have you seen this month? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Yesterday, the Space Force unveiled its new mission statement, which, if you ask me, is a lot sleeker than its predecessor. The old mission statement was, the U.S. Space Force is responsible for organizing, training, and equipping guardians to conduct global space operations that enhance the way our joint and coalition forces fight, while also offering decision makers military options to achieve national objectives. The new mission statement is going to be to secure our nation's interests in, from, and to space. Well, I like it. It's much more concise. Uh, Did a consultant write this mission statement? Surprisingly, no. Uh, The U.S. Space Force's Chief of Space Operations, General Saltzman, crowdsourced the revamp by seeking input from members of the Space Force. The new mission statement comes as the Space Force tries to establish itself among the other military branches, and hopefully the revamp will help distance the Space Force from its satirized Netflix counterpart. That's true. Uh, Steve Carell on that show, it definitely seems like an upgrade from his, uh, quote, boots on the moon by 2024 tagline that he pushed there. Yes, definitely agreed. And speaking of Space Force activities, my last update this week is that uh, the agency responsible for the country's intelligence satellites, the National Reconnaissance Office, or NRO, has announced its plans to launch a new tranche of geosynchronous satellites from Cape Canaveral. The NRO is notoriously tight-lipped, and this mission, which they're calling Silent Barker, is a collaboration with the Space Force, and they plan to use it as an in-orbit watchdog to observe the orbital environment and identify threats to high-value space assets. The satellites are part of the Space Force's Geosynchronous Space Situational Awareness Program, or GSSAP, but according to military officials, the major difference from other GSSAP missions is is Silent Barker's ability to, quote-unquote, continually monitor the position or maintain custody of other objects in geosynchronous orbit. The NRO hasn't disclosed who manufacture the satellites or what types of sensors on board, but there are likely some type of optical imaging sensors involved. Cool. So uh, I heard this launch was delayed because of weather uh, last week. Can you tell me more? Yes, it was originally scheduled to launch on August 29th, but was delayed because of inclement weather in Florida. As of this taping, it is scheduled to launch from Cape Canaveral on September 9th on board a ULA Atlas V rocket. All right. Terrific. Jillian, love that update, and uh, we'll be hearing from you soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this Wiley-centric episode of Hosted Payload. Thanks so much to my guests, Jennifer Hinden, Kate Dickerson, and Maddie Lotenbach. And thanks to Jillian Quigley for the excellent orbital debrief. For all your satellite and space law needs, look us up at wiley.law. I'm Henry Gola.